Welcome to GAP, the podcast where we look at identifying educational gaps and develop stakeholder agency to proactively evoke change in our education system. I review the literature so that you don't have to. This is a podcast made by educators, made for anyone who wants to listen. My name is Renata Gallick, and I've been an educator in K-12 over the last 20 years. School's out for the day. Let's get started. On this episode, we look at normalizing the mental health conversation in school and barriers that stand in the way of help seeking among adolescents. What does the research tell us? And what should we do about it? In my own experience, as maybe yours as well, we are noticing that the topic of our own mental health as well as that of our students has come to the forefront of education, especially as the fallout of the current COVID-19 pandemic. Consider here what the research says on adolescent mental health help seeking. Many barriers have existed for adolescents in obtaining help for their mental health, which prevent them from seeking mental health support. One of the lowest rates of emotional help seeking can be found in males, for example. On the contrary, women are found to be more likely than men to seek out help for mental health problems. Predominant barriers to seeking mental health help are rooted in gender and gender norms. In my own exploration of this topic, I identified several gaps, but one of the largest gaps in the research is around what we can do in our schools to respond to mental health help seeking. Students attend school every day. It is one of the largest socializing agents for adolescents and yet researchers have not looked into this crucial gap. Research does identify gender variance in help seeking, but there are no studies that specifically investigate the relationship between gender in the school context. One can ask, for example, in thinking about male gender norms, how are dominant hegemonic masculinity norms and ideologies related to help seeking amongst male adolescents in schools? The majority of current stigma literature is focused on males. There are complexities which contribute to help seeking. Perceptions of normativeness influence help seeking behaviors. Current research identifies individual factors, such as variance in mental health literacy among individuals. And some of those individual factors can be transportation costs or cost of services in general, or access to services in general. Social stigma and embarrassment, perceived relationship between the adolescent and the helper, systemic and structural barriers, wait times and perceived perceptions of the relationship with the helper, as well as availability of the helper. Much of the research identifies stigma as the leading barrier in help seeking. Action plans in schools, therefore, can't other overlooked groups. We have to think globally in order to reduce stigma, normalize help seeking for all, but specifically for those overlooked groups. 
The implications of not seeking help include health difficulties, academic difficulties, poor social outcomes, as well as suicidal and self-harm behavior. We continuously see examples of this in our schools as we observe students disengage or become far removed. The reluctance of adolescents to seek help, coupled with some concerning mental health statistics, point to the need to explore this area further. The question we need to ask ourselves is where is the literature on mental health help seeking in schools? The answer is that there really isn't any. Gary, I know. In my own school, I see some alarming data. Participation in school clubs music programs is down since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Sense of belonging in the school is lower than the Canadian norm since the COVID pandemic. Reading is down, video game usage is up. Students that value school outcomes are lower than Canadian norm. High rates of self-reported anxiety and depression are reported by students. Increase in marijuana usage and an increase in truancy rates can be observed in students. Also, students are reporting less than the Canadian norm in the category of students with positive self-esteem. Also observed is an increase in, in the amount of students with eating disorders. School-based action plans need to respond to these alarming trends. How do we do that? There seems to be no single answer. However, as teachers, we observe on a daily basis that in order for students to have the ability to learn, we need to provide the means to address well-being and mental health. Action plans need to address the higher rates of self-reported anxiety symptoms, depression symptoms, truancy and substance abuse, and substance use compared to the net Canadian average. Students are reporting feeling fear, intense anxiety, or worry about particular events and social situations at much higher rates. Students have prolonged periods where they feel sad, discouraged, and inadequate at much higher rates. The action that I'm proposing that needs to happen in schools is a culmination of what the research tells us in mental health and help seeking in general. It should target both students and staff with the ultimate goal of changing school culture to normalize mental health help seeking to collectively respond to an increase in mental health needs in schools. In order to do this, a comprehensive approach that integrates several ideas found in the literature aimed at the school context needs to be taken. I think about this in terms of four phases, raising awareness, collaborative action between students and staff, implementation and reflections, as well as planning for the future so that in the following year, this plan will have already taken root with students and staff continuing in the school. Does this sound good to you so far? It sounds like a lot of work. However, rather than looking at it as a lot of work, I'm proposing that we do the work that we are already doing in a different and more integrative way. The hope, 
we continue to build the ideas that we take care of ourselves, each other, and our environment. Through this, students and staff develop owner, ownership and agency in constructing the action plan. The framework that I use for this action plan was introduced into the, by the Manitoba, into the Manitoba Education Teacher Ideas Fund website, and it comes from studentbehaviorblog.org. It identifies five different areas. Talking, which includes time to collaborate, plan. The next element is trainings, which include, could include professional development for teachers, training for teachers, such as training for students rather, for example, in safe talk or assist training. The next element is teaching or incorporation of mental health into teaching. And this could look in this could look like a couple of different ways. For example, implementing set out programs such as Project 11. Or it could also look like naturally embedding mental health practices such as mindfulness moments or meditations as a collective school where schools are engaging in the same practice at the same time. The next element is tools for students. And within this element, we can think about things like access to food programs, games that facilitate community building and social skill development, training for students, once again, as well as improvement of our green spaces and our indoor spaces for the mental health of students as well as teachers. We know that space can be very much a third teacher and can contribute quite heavily to our mental health and our well-being. The next element is taking care of teachers. And this could look like appreciation initiatives, but also it can look like the natural practices that we will be embedding into the structure of our daily lives at school in order to address the mental health for all students. The key in this, in this plan is that it is integrative and collaborative. It normalizes mental health seeking for all in a way that is built into our ways of being and it doesn't perpetuate otherness. It addresses the, complex, the complexities, norms, and that it addresses the complexities that norms and marginalization create. This is naturally embedded in this plan. This plan becomes who we are rather than taking away from instructional time. It affirms that all time that we spend with our students is instructional time. It's now time to cut, to look at a timeline of how this project, how this action plan can be implemented. I foresee this taking all year with the goal that this action plan will be sustainable over time. However, the first year is crucial. It's crucial in developing relationships, laying the groundwork for creating a culture of change.
identify this plan as including four different phases. Phase one is something I call laying the groundwork. And this would be the phase that includes addressing the, addressing the school plan with a mental health focus, collaborating with staff and students on the school plan. Part of this phase would involve looking at mental health trends and data and what they're telling us and perhaps coming up with ideas or reflecting on the areas that we need to really respond to. Perhaps this phase can also include how do we embed mental health action response in our daily work, in our day to day. In order to do this, I believe that this is a crucial time to also focus on what do we do well and what do we, uh, what do we need to do. This would also be a good phase to look at conducting a needs assessment for both staff and students, as well as perhaps starting to raise awareness for students and staff of mental health seeking trends in schools, our responsibilities to collaboratively work at addressing mental health concerns for both students and staff, with particular attention, with paying particular attention to marginalized groups or stigmas created through gender norms. The second phase I call creating the buzz. So we do a little bit more awareness, but staff and students collaborate together. An essential element of this is student voice. And staff and student collaboration, student voice in weekly advocacy classes to address issues is something that can happen on a continuous basis throughout the year too, throughout the year here. Working collaboratively to plan the year is an essential element of this phase. Professional development for both staff and students, not only increasing awareness, but to increase capacity. This is also a time for forging relationships with critical friends, such as elders, community-based supports, such as CMHA, Norwest, YMCA, Project 11, Seven Oaks Teen Clinic, and think about as well some cultural collaborations to reflect the need to engage marginalized youth. For example, literature shows that Indigenous youth respond to cultural supports rather than engaging in what is known as traditional mental health seeking, help seeking. Another aspect of this phase could be de developing plans for enhancing our spaces, both indoors and outdoors, as our environment has been shown in the literature to affect our well-being. Phase three is what I call the actual implementation, even though I feel like all stages of the action plan, in a sense, our implementation can be regarded as implementation. However, this stage can this phase um, can, can include more professional development for both teachers and students, perhaps engaging in certain awareness raisers, engaging outside community um, initiatives such as mental health evenings as well. So this would be the phase where we would really initiate responses as, gen as are generated through the staff and collaboration process uh, 
from phases one and two. Phase four is the phase that could be characterized as the reflection, reflection phase and next steps, where we might undertake some large scale data collection as a whole, conduct wrap up meetings to assess sustainability and future planning. Some activities might include some mental health week school activities. Mental health week typically happens at the end or during the month of May, at the beginning of May. Um, and as I previously mentioned, conduct some final data collection. And this could include data collection on some of those sustained daily activities or even weekly activities that we have come up with to embed within our days to promote self well-being. Now you might say, hey, Renata, we've done this all before at my school. And I can even speak to my own school by saying, sure, we've addressed the same, we've addressed mental health continuously in the past, not just as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. We do this through implementing Project 11 in our, in our curriculum um, there, or other mental health curricula, such as healthy, the Healthy Relationships Program from the Red Cross. We also have different student groups in the school so that students may find themselves in these, within these groups, arts groups, athletic groups, um, student-led, mental health initiatives, for example. We also engage students in cultural activities, for example, or we have kids in care groups. We provide breakfast programs, lunch programs. We also provide students with various ways of, of learning as well. So incorporating not only traditional curricula, but also incorporating vocational curricula as well. There are several initiatives, but I would argue that the difference between what we what I've done in the past and what is often done in the past is these initiatives that I just mentioned, and they tend to exist as islands. What I suggest that the research is telling us to do is bring these bring all of these pieces together in a comprehensive way that really changes school culture, changes school culture in a way that doesn't other specific groups because it is often due to stigma or fear that students from marginalized groups, as I mentioned before, or due to gendered norms that students aren't accessing supports. So we have to do this collectively as both students and staff, and we have to normalize these practices into our everyday lives. And this becomes a comprehensive action plan for student and staff well-being. I think that is the difference between what we have done before and what I'm suggesting now. So what do you think? Maybe it does sound like a lot of work. Maybe it does sound overwhelming. And maybe what I'm suggesting can work for you or it might not. You might just crash and burn in your first year. And so might I with my school. But I think that it is this collective, collaborative and comprehensive model that is what's been missing. And the research does show 
that we need to be addressing mental health for adolescents. And how we do this becomes a, is a collective responsibility. So I hope that with, through the adoption of this plan, that we begin to see a shift from, mental, from addressing mental health help seeking in kind of, like I described before, in an island format, in a way that is disjointed, where you know one teacher leads this group and another teacher leads this group, and then there's athletics and athletics being offered, or then this is being offered. But it needs to come together, and I think that that is the missing piece in bringing what the literature says on mental health help seeking, as well as what we're already been what we've already been doing well in our schools. That is the missing piece to improving mental health in our students and staff. It's that link between all of these things, and it is normalizing mental health in our daily day-to-day -day actions. As I said before, wouldn't it be great if we could integrate mindfulness or meditation practices in a physics classroom or a pre-calc classroom? We're looking at test-taking in all of those contexts rather than offering a test-taking workshop, rather than offering a Wellness Wednesday. We need to bring mental health into our spaces, into our classrooms. Perhaps I've provoked you to take action or to even think about how you might take action and do things differently in your school. Often it's difficult to break free from the norms and break free from the things that we've always done. But as educators, we all know that part of learning and part of growth is taking a risk. So I encourage you to take this risk because I feel like as I've shown you from the research, we can't afford not to. Thanks for joining me today. Until next time, take care.